And the reading for the sermon today is Psalm 93, and I'll I'll read it for you and then go straight into the, the sermon. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago, and you are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 93 is a song of praise, celebrating God as both creator and ruler of the cosmos. God's majestic beauty is reflected in the cosmic harmony of the creation. And his strength guarantees his continuing reign over creation and thus the ultimate triumph of good over evil. The psalmist's vision of God here contrasts with the cynicism displayed by Shelley's famous poem, um, Ozymandias, which goes like this. I met a traveller from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive stamped on these lifeless things the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing besides remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Psalm 93 describes God as robed in gayuth, a term meaning excellent things, lifting up majesty. He's also said to be robed with, with oaths, meaning strength, might, power. And this motif of, of God being clothed with things indicates both his character and his intent. The Lord wears the garb of royalty because he is and intends to act as king. Indeed, when the psalmist states that the Lord reigns or uh, has proclaimed himself king, he uses terminology that describes the act of ascending to a royal throne. And the verbs here express not merely a a fact, Jehovah reigneth, but an, an act. God's 
attributes of majesty and strength are described as these royal robes. They are, if you like, in a bit of a pun, his declared habits. That is, the psalmist isn't merely describing who God just happens to be at the moment, but who God is and must be on account of his very intrinsic nature. God, in other words, is no Ozymandias, here today but lost in the sands of time tomorrow. There's an an active solidity about God's rule that should be a comfort to us and should give pause to the forces of chaos and evil. I think the psalmist feels here about God very much as Sam the Hobbit feels looking up at a star from the mist of Mordor's deathly landscape in J.R.R. Tolkien's novel, The Return of the King. There, peeping among the cloud wreck above a dark tor, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. The psalmist betrays the world as a throne that God has firmly set up and established such that this throne, i.e. God's reign, won't be overthrown. It won't uh, won't give way or be removed or totter or shake, all ways of translating the terms here. As the Holman Christian Standard Bible has it, the world throne is firmly established, it cannot be shaken. And it's worth noting that the biblical idea of being shaken often occurs in texts that describe the impotence of false gods. So there's an implicit contrast here between the impotence of false gods and the potent rule of God, as symbolised by the stability of his figurative throne. Indeed, Psalm 93 is just one of several Old Testament passages that speak of the earth being established such that it cannot be moved or shaken. For example, according to Psalm 104, verse 5, God has set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. Christian philosopher of science John Lennox comments, we know now that the earth does not rest on literal foundations. We can therefore see that foundations are used in a metaphorical sense. God, the creator, has built certain very real stabilities into the planetary system. Earth's stability, therefore, is very real. It is, if you wish, a literal or true stability, even though it doesn't make sense to understand the word stability literalistically as referring to motionlessness, as uh, some people interpreted this uh, before the uh, Copernican revolution in astronomy. So in Psalm 93, the very notion of stability is itself a metaphor for the security of God's position as king, figuratively represented by the earth, 
Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. Unlike Ozymandias, God is the everlasting king who can be relied upon eternally. God is the Alpha and the Omega, who was and is and is to come. Revelation 1 verse 8. The Hebrew term translated as established can also mean measured or or regulated. Many ancient thinkers were impressed by the measured, regulated structure of the world and thought it pointed to the existence of divinity. Thus the Roman scholar Cicero professed, what could be more clear or obvious when we look up to the sky and contemplate the heavens than that there is some divinity of superior intelligence? However, it's only recently that we've discovered just how precisely measured and regulated our cosmos is. In the last few decades, uh, scientists have discovered a tantalizingly great number of exceedingly rare coincidences vital for the existence of of a minimally stable universe, without which no form of life could exist here or anywhere. The atheist cosmologist Stephen Hawking once admitted, the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think clearly there are religious implications, but I think most scientists prefer to shy away from the religious side of it. However, shying away from a conclusion supported by evidence hardly seems to be a scientific attitude. In ancient Near Eastern cultures, the sea represented chaos and disorder. In verses 3 and 4, pagan law of divine triumph over the forces of chaos is echoed, and it's applied metaphorically to any menace to God's rule over the earth. By the floods, the seas, are meant the world powers God's enemies, perhaps especially Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. Invading hosts are are constantly compared to floods or rivers in Scripture. We see this particularly in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah. The floods lift up their waves or their their din, their roaring. It calls to mind the opening verses of Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the peoples imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth on the throne shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. The King James Version of that. And so we find ourselves back with the hubris of every Ozymandias out there, from Old Testament empires to today's so-called Islamic State. Anyone who would take counsel against the Lord and his anointed one and his people. Anyone who breaks his statutes in pursuit of their self-centered agendas of pride, power, greed and hate. In point of fact, the phrase, your statutes, might actually read, your throne. So Psalm 93 ends as it begins, with a focus upon the rule of God. That rule is our only guarantee 
that good will have the final word over evil. That in the end, the shadow of evil is only a small and passing thing. Because there is the light and high beauty of the Lord, robed in majesty and armed with strength forever beyond its reach. Amen.